Our scripture reading today is from Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not live, man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. We live in a world filled With noise. All around us, there are messages that um, hammer into our minds that we see on the computers, that we see on the news. Um, And it can be difficult to try to really understand what is life all about. Well, as we step back into church history, this is, we discover that that world of noise. Um, is not something that's just happened in our age. It's been part of history. And the reformers, in trying to um, answer the question, what is life all about, came up with this as their answer. They said that the chief end of man, of humanity, is to enjoy, uh, excuse me, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. That's what we're made for. And anything that's outside of those two parameters of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever will not be at the core of what life is all about. Now, if you want to find out kind of more about some of the questions that they wrestled with and and some of the core doctrines that really relate to our belief in Jesus Christ, there's a great little resource It's a a catechism. It's the New City Catechism. And there's a page there. You can go ahead and put put it up. You can just do a search on on Google for New City Catechism. And question number six, they have a, by the way, they have a children's version and an adult version. And we use this some with our grandchildren. And and it's a great, great resource. You can put it on your phone or, or whatever. And it just will help you walk through a way to teach truth to your children and to learn truth for yourself. So question number six is, how can we glorify God? And if you just click on that little box, it'll show you the answer that it has there. And you to do it in the little side screen. Boom. We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. 
That's what it says. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's what I hope for us to be able to unpack today. Our passage of Scripture, Moses asks the most beautiful question of God. He says, show me, please, your glory. Isn't that ultimately what all of us want? We want to know who God is, to experience him for who he truly is, and then be able to honor him. That's what Moses is, is asking. And we're going to explore that in just, just a few moments. But what I believe this ultimately points to is that you and I were made for intimacy. Intimacy especially with God. And the Bible term for intimacy with God is union with Christ or in Christ. And over the last um, several weeks as I've been been studying this theme throughout the scripture, I've looked and I, and I found several different patterns that I believe help us to understand what intimacy with God looks like and how we can move closer. And so you'll, you'll see in your um, sermon notes, because you have a lot of notes today, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about all of them, uh, otherwise we'd be here till about four o'clock and I won't do that to you. But there's a little chart there that is kind of some different patterns that you see in the scripture. Um, we began to look at this last week, and each of these patterns, both in the people that we see in the Scripture and even in the pattern of the tabernacle, are all designed to help us see what it means to move closer to God. And they all point to one thing, to Jesus, because intimacy with God is found in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in a couple of weeks, we're, we're going to look at the things he said about how we enter and enjoy a relationship with him that is far greater than we ever imagined, how we can truly, truly enjoy him. Well, we're going to go back and pick up where we were last week, where we were looking at um, a pattern of Israel that we find in the wilderness after they've come out of slavery uh, to Egypt. Um, as they were there, there are several different categories of people that we looked at last week, and there experience of intimacy with God. We talked a little bit about those who are outside of Christ, and, and then secondly, we talked about the crowd or the congregation. That is those who worshiped at the doors of their tents. They wanted God on their own terms. They did not invite him into their daily living, and they did not go to him to seek his direction. They simply wanted his blessing and his protection. And that may define where some of us are this morning. The second group that we looked at were the colleagues, the servant leaders. And it's typified by 70 leaders along with, with Aaron and a few other people who had a leadership and service role amongst Israel. And they had a different, deeper experience with God. The scripture tells us that they saw God. They saw a vision of God that the rest of Israel did not see. But they were... Um, serving, but not necessarily surrendered. And therefore, when temptation came, when the voice of the people cried out, make us gods, they buckled under the pressure and rebelled against the Lord and allowed the people to, to rebel. The third group was, was the companion, and this is personified in the person of Joshua, where it says he would not leave the tent of meeting. He was so consumed with being in God's presence that it defined who he was. 
And then finally, the woman that we're going to look at today is the confidant, which is Moses. Moses was not only God's friend, but God also shared his heart and his plans with Moses. The intimacy between God and Moses was truly amazing. But here's the thing I want you to, to, to grab a hold of. The kind of intimacy that Moses had was not reserved just for him, but through Christ and in Christ, it is the same kind of intimacy and union with God through Jesus that you and I can experience today. It's not just something that happened in the past. It is God's deepest desire for you. If you'll believe that, it'll go a long way to helping you learn to enjoy God's presence in a way you never imagined before. Now, right at the end of the message, I gave you, uh, last week, I gave a few steps, and I only got into a couple of those, and I want to go over those steps first before we look at Moses. And, but as we look at this, I do want to present a caution, because what happens in my life, and, and I believe in most of us, is that when we begin talking about things like intimacy with God, the first thing that we try to do is compare ourselves to others. Either we think, I'm not good enough, I'm not as good as person X or person Y, or we begin to judge others. And I want to share a a very important truth with you and a caution. This is not about um, um, comparing ourselves to others. It's about evaluating our own heart and asking the Lord to help us move closer. Because comparison is the enemy of contentment. What will rob you of joy quicker than anything else you can do is to compare yourself to others, either in judging or in belittling yourself. God made you, you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. So don't allow comparison to be a tool of the enemy to distract you from what God wants to do in your life. Because the truth is, when we fix our eyes on others, we look away from Jesus. I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's absolutely true. So here were the seven steps that we began to, began to look at. Seven steps for moving closer to God through our union in Jesus Christ. And it begins, first of all, with the desire for God himself as a person that can be known. That's what scripture is inviting us to do, is to know God himself, not just know about him, not just study as if he's a subject, but to know him as a person, to delight in him as a person. In fact, that's why Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And Jesus said he came to show us the Father. He came so that we could enjoy him and glorify him. So how do you enjoy a person? Well, you enjoy the person of God in much in the same way that you enjoy other people. We begin to focus in on what is important to that other person, their ideas, their values, their hearts, their passions, and all of those are revealed in God's word. He's saying, this is who I am, and I want you to know me. Now, that can be difficult for us because the truth is, oftentimes we think, God doesn't really want me to know him because I don't think God thinks that highly of me to begin with. 
Well, I showed you a passage last week that talks about how God sees us as his bride. But I want you to look at at, at a verse out of Zephaniah chapter 3 that shows us the heart of our Father in a beautiful way. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is God's heart for you. This is how he looks at you and I individually. He rejoices over us with loud singing. He promises to quiet us with his love. Now, during our time back in the United States, um, Becky and I got to, to reconnect with our grandchildren in a, in a way that, because we hadn't lived there for five years, that, that we really hadn't been able to before. And this verse took on a whole new reality for me as a grandfather. Uh, it, it started with watching my daughter, Melissa, every time she would put her three children to bed, either for a nap or, or for uh, bedtime at night, she would sing over them, just like her mom sang over her and her three brothers. And hearing my daughter sing over my children allowed me to hear a glimpse of God singing over me. And one of the greatest joys we had is when it was time for our daughter to to be gone for a week and, and Becky and I got to just, you know, spend concentrated time with our, with our grandkids and take care of them, the privilege of singing over them to quiet them as they were getting ready for bed with our love, to rejoice over them with singing, showed me the heart that God has for us. And it's beautiful. Do you believe that? Do you believe what he says about you? It'll help us to desire him when we understand how much he desires us. Secondly, we have to discipline our belief in God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is a choice. It's not just... um, an emotion or a feeling or a set of beliefs, faith ultimately is a choice. It is choosing to trust in the Lord in what he says about himself, what he says to us, and what he says he will do, trusting ultimately in his promises. So what I want you to begin asking the Lord is, what is he calling you to trust him about today? If you want to move closer to God, then one of the ways that that happens is choosing to trust him in every area of life. And chances are, if you're like me, there are some things where he is prompting your heart and simply saying, would you trust me? Maybe God is, is, is drawing your heart to trust him with forgiveness. Maybe you've been hurt in a powerful way. And God's saying, would you place that in my hands? Would you trust me? Not saying that what was done to you was right, but I'm saying I'm big enough to handle the hurt and the circumstance. The truth is, when we turn our hurts, our wounds, our pain over to God, he can take our trials and turn them into triumphs. He can move us from being 
a person who's experienced the life of a victim into a victory in him that is beautiful because God will use it for our good and for his glory. This is what happened in the um, biblical person of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. His brothers had sold him into slavery. I mean, can you imagine the betrayal of your own brothers saying, let's just make him a slave. We'll sell him to someone else and we'll tell mom and dad that he was killed. He was betrayed and hurt deeply. But he came to the point of recognizing that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God can redeem even the most difficult circumstances in our life. We just need to choose to trust him in everything. The third step of moving closer I believe, is delighting to listening to his voice. Psalm 1 um, says that the, the person who God honors, the person that comes close to him, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. When it says law there, it doesn't just mean um, the Ten Commandments. It means everything that God has revealed about himself it is a revelation of the Torah, of who he is. That's actually the word that's used in the original language. It's God's revelation of himself. That's what we're to delight in. And if I could challenge you with one thing above all else during this time as we look at moving closer, I'd like to help you change your mindset about God's word. Chances are you've approached God's word in the way that we tend to do in Western society and we look at it as something to study. And that's good. I mean, we we have Bible studies and it's very, very good to do because we want to learn more. But when we begin to look at it, not just as something where we're receiving knowledge, but when we're actually listening to God speak to us, it becomes transformational. It's not just studying a subject that's abstract. It becomes listening to the voice of God in a powerful, powerful way. That's why I encourage you to to listen to God's word, to read it, but also to listen to it, to meditate on it, to think about it. Get to know him by what he is speaking. Listen on a on a regular basis. And if you have trouble doing that, if if you're just kind of a person who, if you're a um, a book person, that's really how you like to learn and you take notes, that's awesome. Just remember it is God speaking to you and to us and to his world. Maybe you have trouble connecting with the heart of God in the midst of that. Let me share something with you that has been very, very helpful for me over, over the last at least 35 years that I practiced it. And, and that is simply um, to spend time in the Psalms not for the purpose of study, not for the purpose of gaining knowledge or answers, but for the purpose of hearing God's voice and knowing God's heart. And there's a really simple way that you can do that. Um, What I've practiced for years is I'll spend time in the Psalms. Uh, Today's the 27th, so I start with Psalm 27, okay? It's really great because if I miss a day for some reason, I'm not beating myself up because I jump back in on the first and I read Psalm 1, okay? 
Now, if you, if you have time and you want to you wanna listen to more, well, you can just add 30 to the number and 60 to the number and 90 to the number and 120. And if you, you spend time in five psalms over the course of a month, you will have listened to all the psalms in the scripture. Um, but you don't have to do that. It's just an encouragement to spend time. In fact, I think it's better to spend more time listening and reflecting on one psalm than to try to check off a box that you've gotten through something. You may have another type of of daily reading that you do, but if you want to hear the heart of God and how he relates to us, the Psalms is a beautiful place to listen to his voice. Fourthly, God invites us to dwell in his presence in prayer and praise. Prayer is not just asking things. Prayer is a dialogue in God's presence. So we need to give ourselves time to be with God, to see his desires, and to share our hearts with him and listen to what he says to us. It's important to listen to praise music. Maybe even write your own songs. Allow yourself to be focused in and use music and worship to draw you into God's presence. God created it as a beautiful way of expressing not just thoughts and ideas, but emotions and heart together. That's why we worship together in song. And I encourage you to make that a part of your life. It'll help you move closer. Fifthly, decide to obey out of love for God. Obedience, I believe, is the gateway to pleasure. When we choose to obey God, we experience his pleasure. Listen to what he told Samuel in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. God's saying, I'm far more interested in you obeying what I've told you to do than making some grand gesture or some great sacrifice that maybe you're doing to impress others or maybe you're doing out of obligation. He invites us to obey. And the reason that he does is because you and I can't give anything to God. There's nothing you have, there's nothing I have that God didn't give us. So there's, and there's nothing he needs. And so I can't give to God something like I would give a present to my, to my bride, you know, because um, he already has everything. I'm giving him what is already his. But the one thing we can give to him is our obedience as an expression of love. So what is God telling you to obey him about right now? Maybe there's an area of your life where there's there's a sin you've been struggling with and you need to turn from it. Maybe there's a reconciliation and a relationship that he's calling you to. Maybe he's encouraging you to take a step of faith, to trust him in some new way. What is God speaking to you? And whatever it is, Show him your love by saying, Lord, I want to obey you because I love you. And God will help you move closer.
Number six is dedicate your strength to loving others and serving their needs. This is why Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that means getting involved, using our hands, using our resources, using our lives and our relationships to touch the lives of others. Ask God to show you someone that he wants you to serve today as a way of expressing your love for God. Volunteer in some way. Join in with with dignity or help with the homeless. There are lots of opportunities to do that. Or help in Sunday school. That's a great expression of love. And you will receive incredible pleasure as you do that. I promise you. Well, the last one on these steps, just to, to cover over them, is devote yourself to who, how, and what Jesus loves. God calls us to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us to serve as Jesus has served our greatest need, to listen to others as Jesus has listened to your prayers, to encourage others and to build them up, to seek to understand rather than to be understood. In other words, to love like Jesus. Now, I mention these steps because I believe that As we study the life of Moses, we discover he did each and every one of these, and that's part of how he experienced such deep intimacy with God. So so we're going to look at Moses, because Moses, who is the confidant of God, the one that God was willing to share his heart and his plans with and to speak with as a friend, that's in many ways, our goal for moving closer to God, to have that same kind of relationship with him. Now, the challenge on that can be we don't feel worthy. But I want to tell you, Moses wasn't worthy either. In fact, Moses, when we look at his life, we discover he is a man of contrasts and contradictions that are pretty amazing. In many ways, Moses, just like us, was unqualified. In fact, when you think about the people of the Scripture, one of the beautiful things that it reveals is their faults and their flaws, and we discover that none of them were qualified. And so to help you get that, let me give you a quick review. There's a little video clip I want to play that's called The March of the Unqualified. And hopefully, when you hear these things proclaimed, you'll go, wow, I can fit in with these guys and these women. Because you know what? I'm just as unqualified as they are. So let's, let's play the clip. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. 
Lazarus was dead. That's a tough one. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. And so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. Does it give you some hope? I found myself way too often in that list, I'll tell you. But here's the good news. God uses broken people. That's the qualification he's looking for, a broken and contrite heart. Now, when we look at Moses, we, we discover some incredible contrasts. Listen to some of these truths about Moses because he had some successes and he had some failures and he, in some ways, just was a mystery. He was the child of a slave and the son of a queen. He was raised as Pharaoh's daughter, or as Pharaoh's, uh, as the, da- the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was born in a hut and lived in a palace. He inherited poverty but enjoyed unlimited wealth. He was the leader of armies and the keeper of flocks. He was the mightiest of warriors and the meekest of men. He was educated in the court and dwelt in the desert. He had the wisdom of Egypt and the faith of a child. He was raised for the city and wandered in the wilderness. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin and endured the hardships of virtue. He was backward in speech and yet talked with God. He had the rod of a shepherd and the power of the infinite. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh and an ambassador from heaven. He was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. He died alone on Mount Moab and yet appeared with Christ in Judea. No man assisted in his funeral, yet God buried him. A lot of contrasts all in one person because you see, we're complex. And God will use your shortcomings as well as your strengths to shape you in to the man or the woman he desires for you to be when you seek to move closer and closer to him. We're oftentimes a contradiction, a series of contrasts as well. But God not only wants to use your life, he desires for you to enjoy his presence. So what are the qualities, perhaps, that God saw in Moses that we want to pattern our own life after? Well, as we heard from the scripture, we we see some beautiful things that are revealed here in in the book of Exodus in chapter 33. But I want to to begin with this first qualification uh, or quality that we see in Moses, and that is what I believe that God saw was that Moses was a person of patient submission under God's power. He was a person of meekness. In fact, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Meekness is a word that 
um, oftentimes is misunderstood. It does not have anything to do with weakness. It has to do with patient submission to God, his power, his timing, his plan. Now, Moses wasn't always a meek man. In fact, um, at about 40 years of age, he decided to take on the role of deliverer in his own timing, in his own strength. And when he saw a fellow Hebrew being um, beaten, he went up and struck down, killed the Egyptian who was beating him. He didn't ask God if that's what he was supposed to do. He just took things into his own hands. He reacted, he got angry, and he killed the man. He did things in his own strength. And as a result... He was banished from Egypt and he was sent into the wilderness for 40 years, which is where he learned to patiently submit to God's timing and God's power and rely on God's strength. That's what God invites us to do. And he gives us great promises when we choose to be meek, to wait patiently in submission to say, God, what do you want to do When do you want to do it? And how can I patiently engage in your work? He gives us this promise in Isaiah 29, 19. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. This is the kind of person that Moses learned to be. And that's what helped draw him closer and closer into God's presence. He discovered who God truly was and he humbled himself before him. That's what we all have to do is be humble and give patient submission to God and rely on his power and strength. Secondly, I believe what God saw in Moses was that he was a person of prayer. Moses prayed for others more than he paid, prayed for himself. How about your prayer life? Is that true? Or do you spend most of your time going through the list of the things that you're worried about for yourself or, or maybe for your family? Moses was a man who prayed more for others than he did for himself. Exodus chapter 32, verse 30 says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And Moses offered his own life as a ransom for the people of Israel because he was more concerned that they would know God, that they would come into the presence of God and experience who he is than he was concerned about himself. And in the passage that Karen read for us in Exodus 33, verse 13, it says this, consider too that this this is Moses speaking to the Lord. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is what the Lord answers back to Moses. Moses is appealing before God who is angry, rightfully so, with Israel because of their rebellion and worshiping a false god. And Moses intercedes and says, remember they're yours. I know you love them. And God answers back and said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He's talking to Moses. 
And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? When Moses prayed, he realized that life wasn't just about him, but God was working in the heart and life of all the people around him. And so he was interceding for them. If you want to move closer to the Lord, become a person of prayer who dedicates more energy, more intentionality in praying for others than you do for praying for yourself. Moses' deep desire is for others to experience God's presence. Intimacy with God is so much more important than success or comfort. And Moses had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. He wanted to honor God, but he also passionately wanted others to enjoy him, to see him for who he truly is. And so he prayed for others that they would encounter God. And he prayed for them more than he prayed for himself. And the fourth quality, excuse me, the third quality is that he was a person of presence. His passion was more for God's presence than for anything else, more than for victory or success or power or anything else. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now listen to his prayer. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. What he was saying is, God, if you're pleased with me at all, show me more of who you are so I can move closer, so I can know your ways and be able to please you even more. What he's saying is the passion of his life was to be in God's presence and to grow closer and closer and closer. And here's the great thing. God is infinite, so we can always get closer. We have all eternity to discover just how immense, how beautiful, how good God is. This is what defined Moses. He wanted to know more and more of God. Is that your desire? The fourth one is that he was a person of purpose. Not only a person of presence, but a person of purpose. He did not live for himself but for God's plan and God's glory. This is what we see in the rest of that chapter, beginning in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight. And don't you want God to say that to you? That we found favor in his sight? Let me let you in on, on a secret. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you're in Christ, you have found favor in God's sight. You already have that. He now invites you to keep moving closer. Moses said, please show me your glory. What an incredible request. 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God honored Moses' bold prayer. Lord, please show me your glory. Now, what exactly did Moses want to see? We, We need to remember what he's already experienced. He's already seen the burning bush, which I believe was um, what's called a theophany. It was an appearance of Jesus before um, he became in the flesh. I believe he saw uh, the Lord Jesus in that burning bush. He had seen the 10 plagues, the demonstration of God's power. He had seen the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of the, the Egyptians. He'd seen the greatness of God firsthand. He'd also been given already the law. God had revealed and spoken to him his plan and his design. But Moses wanted something more. He didn't seek God's power. He had seen that. He wanted to see God's glory. He wanted to experience the weightiness of God, the beauty of God. He wanted to experience the full splendor of God's presence and see him for who he truly is. He was begging God for for him to reveal himself more and more to him so that he could move closer and honor him more. He was asking God for something that God had not given to any human since the fall. He was asking to see a glimpse of God in the same way that Adam and Eve did before they rebelled. He wanted to see God's greatness and God's glory. That was his passion. His his purpose in life was to enjoy God and to elevate Jesus. That's our purpose as well. Jesus, I believe, is who he saw in the burning bush And the beauty is, even though God did not show him his face in that time, Moses was able to speak face-to-face with Jesus several thousand years later at the transfiguration, which we find in Matthew chapter 17. He saw Jesus and spoke to him face-to-face. Lord, show me your glory, not your power, not your deliverance from this problem, not bless my plans. Lord, show me who you really are so I may delight in you. Would you make that your prayer? God wants to answer that prayer. If you'll trust him, if you'll desire him, that's why he tells us in the scriptures to seek him and when we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. That's what he promises us in Jeremiah 29 verse 13. Our ultimate joy 
is not found in success or comfort or pleasure or fame. True joy is found in seeing the beauty of God and enjoying him for who he is. This is why the great preacher Jonathan Edwards said this, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in his glory and that those two are one passion. You see, our delight comes when God becomes the deepest desire of our heart and to see him be lifted up and elevated becomes the purpose of our life because our joy and God's glory are interwoven together. When our life purpose is to enjoy God and elevate Jesus, God will show us who he truly is when we thirst for him, when we desire him with all that we are. Will you choose today to move closer? Commit to being a person of patient submission. Commit and choose to be a person of prayer where you pray for others more than you pray for yourself. Choose to be a person of presence. Choose to enter into God's presence through faith and obedience and be a person of purpose. Desire to live for God's glory and enjoy him as the deepest driving movement in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the example of Moses. Lord, I pray that you would break through our unbelief because the truth is for many of us, we'll hear these words, we'll hear about this person in history and in, in your word, and we'll think, yeah, that was for him, but not for me. Lord, would you enable us to turn from that lie, to repent of it, and to seek to value you and your honor and glory above everything else. Lord, if we as a church have found favor in your sight. Would you teach us your ways? Would you show us your glory so that we can move closer to you so that we can find favor in your sight? Lord, I ask that you would answer that prayer, that you would surprise us with who you are. Lord, you do a work in us that you would teach us to represent you well in our homes, in the workplace, in this community, with one another. Lord, enable us to enjoy you and to elevate Jesus in all that we do. Father God, there are those here who do not yet know you, and these words may just sound foreign. Lord, I pray that today they would choose to take a step of faith and put their trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lord, you have beautifully, graciously chosen to meet the requirement of righteousness because you said we have to be holy. To come into your presence, we have to be righteous, and none of us are. But you credit our faith in Jesus with his righteousness. So, Lord, for those who do not yet know you, Lord, would you allow them, would you prompt them, would they simply, right where they are right now, simply cry out and say, Jesus, would you save me? 
I can't come on my own, so I come to you because you are the only Savior. I trust today in you. Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts. And for those who already know you, enable us to move closer, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.